Section 3, Paleontology, Chapter 38b of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Section 3, Paleontology, Chapter 38b. The Evolution of Man. Paleontology, Part 3. Paleontological Evidence of Human Evolution. Heidelberg Man. Homo heidelbergensis, the Heidelberg Man, represents the oldest recorded European race, geologically speaking. The type was discovered in 1907 in River Sands, 79 feet below the surface, at Mauer, near Heidelberg, South Germany. The relic consists of a perfect lower jaw with a dentition, figure 248c. The description by the discoverer, Dr. Schotensack, follows, from Osborne. The mandible shows a combination of features never before found in any fossil or recent man. The protrusion of the lower jaw just below the front teeth, the chin prominence, which gives shape to the human chin, is entirely lacking. Had the teeth been absent, it would have been impossible to diagnose it as human. From a fragment of the symphysis of the jaw, it might well have been classed as some gorilla-like anthropoid, while the ascending ramus resembles that of some large variety of gibbon. The absolute certainty that these remains are human is based on the form of the teeth. Molars, premolars, canines, and incisors are all essentially human, and although somewhat primitive in form, show no trace of being intermediate between man and the anthropoid apes, but rather of being derived from some older common ancestor. The teeth, however, are small for the jaw. The size of the border would allow for the development of much larger teeth. We can only conclude that no great strain was put on the teeth, and therefore the powerful development of the bones of the jaw was not designed for their benefit. The conclusion is that the jaw, regarded as unquestionably human from the nature of the teeth, ranks not far from the point of separation between man and the anthropoid apes. In comparison with the jaws of the Neanderthal races, we may consider the Heidelberg jaw as pre-Neanderthaloid. It is, in fact, a generalized type. Associated with the Heidelberg jaw is an extensive warm-climate fauna, straight-tusked elephant, Latin antiquus, Etruscan rhinoceros, primitive horse, bison, wild cattle, urus, bear, lion, and so on, all of which aid in establishing the date of the jaw as second interglacial, and its age, conservatively estimated, at from 300,000 to 375,000 years. The cultural evolution of Heidelberg man is indicated by the presence of eoliths, flint implements of the crudest workmanship, if indeed their apparent fashioning is not merely the result of use. Neanderthal Man The original specimen of the Neanderthal Man, or primigenius, figures 249, 250, 252, and plate 30, B, was discovered in 1856, not far from Dusseldorf in Rhenish Prussia. Here the valley of the Dussel, forms the deep Neanderthal ravine, whose limestone walls are penetrated by caverns, in one of which the remains were found. 
what was doubtless a perfect skeleton at the time of its discovery was so injured by its finders that only a portion of it which is now preserved in the provincial museum at bonn was saved this prophet of an unknown race was for a time utterly without honor though of course the subject of a most heated controversy being considered as non-human or as firko believed owing its distinctive characters to disease the sagacity of huxley threw true light upon the problem though it was not until the mute testimony of other representatives of the race the men of spy was offered that even huxley's masterful conception of the neanderthal characters was taken as an accepted fact professor huxley's description of the neanderthal type is classic he says the anatomical characters of the skeletons bear out conclusions which are not flattering to the appearance of the owners they were short of stature but powerfully built with strong curiously curved thigh bones the lower ends of which are so fashioned that they must have walked with a bend at the knees their long depressed skulls had very strong brow ridges their lower jaws of brutal depth and solidity sloped away from the teeth downwards and backwards in consequence of the absence of that especially characteristic feature of the higher type of man the chin prominence lull subsequently several more specimens have come to light at spy in belgium at crepina in croatia at le moustier la chapalusson and la ferrassie in france and at gibraltar which while differing in various details effectually serve to establish the race whose main characteristics are heavy overhanging brows retreating forehead long upper lip jaw less powerful than that of heidelberg man but very thick and massive chin generally strongly receding but in that of a living native australian b homo extraordinarily massive in the lapiao the latter the lowest misting race la chapelle specimen whereas small the skull in many characteristics is nearer to the anthropoids than to modern man the brain is large and its volume is surely human but the proportions are again less like those of recent man than like the anthropoids the chest is large and robust the shoulders broad and the hand large but the fingers are relatively short the thumb lacking the range of movement seen in modern man the knee was somewhat bent the leg powerful with a short shin and clumsy foot clearly not of cursorial adaptation the curve of the bent leg was correlated with a similar curvature of the spine so that the man could not stand fully erect as he lacked the fourth or cervical curvature of homo sapiens the average stature was five feet three inches with a range from four feet ten point three inches to five feet five point two inches partly sex difference neanderthal man lived in europe from the third interglacial stage through the fourth glacial a duration of thousands of years and then became extinct from twenty to twenty-five millenniums ago he seems to have been an actual lineal successor of the man of heidelberg but was throughout his long career an unprogressive static race one of the most remarkable features in connection with this race however was the very reverent way in which the dead were buried with an abundance of ornaments and finely worked flints this can have but one interpretation the awakening within this ancient type of the instinctive belief in immortality piltdown man 
in 1912 was announced the discovery of a very ancient man from the Thames gravels at Piltdown, Sussex, England. Here again the skull was injured and partly lost, so that the question of its proper restoration has been the subject of considerable controversy. The material consists of portions of the cranial walls, nasal bones, a canine tooth, and part of a lower jaw. The brain case in this instance is typically human, except for the remarkably thick cranial walls. The forehead is high and lacks the supraorbital ridges of Neanderthal man and Pithecanthropus. While the skull is of comparatively high human type, the associated jaw and canine tooth clearly are not, and some difficulty was met in explaining their evolutionary discrepancy. That has apparently been answered, however, by the conclusion that the association of the material is purely accidental, and that the jaw not only does not belong with the skull, but that it is not even human, but is that of a fossil chimpanzee. That being the case, there seems to be no reason for the exclusion of the Piltdown man, who has been named Eoanthropus Dawsoni, from the direct line of human ancestry. The specimen is not perhaps so surely dated as are those of the other European races, but it is associated with a warm climate fauna, and is generally considered to belong to the third interglacial stage, from 100,000 to 150,000 years old and hence vastly more ancient than the more primitive Homo neanderthalensis. See figures 248b and 251. Cro-Magnon Man The original finds of the men of the Cro-Magnon race, figure 353, plate 30, c, Homo sapiens, were made at Gower, Wales, and at Aurignac, France. In the latter place, seventeen skeletons came to light in 1852, but were buried in the village cemetery and thus lost to science, and not until 1868, when five more skeletons were discovered at Cro-Magnon, France, was the race established. These individuals, an old man, two young men, a woman and a child, are thus the types of the race. This magnificent race is thus characterized. Skull large but narrow, with a broad face, hence disharmonic. Facial angle equaling the highest type of Homo sapiens. Jaw thick and strong, with a narrow but very prominent chin. Forehead high and orbital ridges reduced. Brain not only of high type, but very large, that of the women exceeding the average male of today. The stature of the old man was six feet four and a half inches, the average for males being six feet one and a half inches. Footnote. The tallest living races of men are the Highland Scots, and the Patagonians, whose height averages five feet, eleven inches, to six feet. End footnote. For women, five feet, five inches, a great disparity. The lower segments of the limbs were long, in contrast with the Neanderthal type. Hence the men of Cro-Magnon were swift-footed, while those of Neanderthal were slow. Osborne says, the wide, short face, the extremely prominent cheekbones, the spread of the palate, and a tendency of the upper cutting teeth and incisors to project forward, and the narrow pointed chin recall a facial type which is best seen today in tribes living in Asia, to the north and to the south of the Himalayas. As regards their stature, the Cro-Magnon race recall the Sikhs living to the south of the Himalayas in the disharmonic proportions of the face that is the combination of broad cheekbones and narrow skull they resemble the eskimo 
the sum of the cro-magnon characters is certainly asiatic rather than african whereas in the grimaldis of which specimens have been found in association with cro-magnons at the grotte des enfants mentone the sum of the characters is decidedly negroid or african the cro-magnons again show by their elaborate burial customs how old and well founded is the belief in life after death they are supposed to be the people who left on the walls of the caverns of france and spain the marvellous examples of upper paleolithic art of which professor osborne's book gives so adequate a description they lived for a while contemporaneously with the men of neanderthal and may have contributed somewhat to the final extinction of the latter in the course of time however they too declined although to this day survivors of the race may be seen in dordogne at Lund near the Garonne in southern France, and at Lanyon in Brittany. Osborne says, The decline of the Cro-Magnons with their artistic culture may have been partly due to environmental causes, and the abandonment of their vigorous nomadic mode of life, or it may be that they had reached the end of a long cycle of psychic development. We know as a parallel that in the history of many civilized races, a period of great artistic and industrial development may be followed by a period of stagnation and decline without any apparent environmental cause europe was repopulated after cro-magnon decline by later invaders from the asiatic realm the so-called mediterranean narrow-headed and the alpine broad-headed types etc probably differentiated in asia in early paleolithic times the repopulation took place in the upper paleolithic evidences of human antiquity great variation these briefly summarized are first great variation if man is monophyletic that is derived from a single prehuman species and there is no reason to believe otherwise he must be old for while the adaptations to ground dwelling after the descent from the trees were doubtless relatively rapidly acquired the differentiation into the various races due perhaps largely to climatic influences rather than to any notable environmental change must have been slowly attained as cooperative evidence we have but to point to the mural paintings on egyptian monuments dating back several thousand years in which are depicted the ethiopian caucasian and the like which are in some instances striking likenesses of the present-day egyptians universal distribution is in animals another mark of antiquity in man it is probably less so because of his greater intelligence and yet before transportation had become a science man's spread over land and sea was extremely slow high intelligence as compared with that of the anthropoids is also a mark of antiquity for the brain especially the type of brain found in the higher human races must have been very slow of development our study of fossil man shows this communal life division of labor and all of the complicated interactions which it brings about and the development of law and religions all have taken time when we realize that babylonian texts twice as remote as the patriarch abraham give evidence of highly perfect laws and of a civilization which must have antedated their production by centuries we gain another yet more emphatic impression of human antiquity 
add to all this the paleontological evidence of man's association with various genera and numerous successive species of prehistoric animals of which he alone survives and the evidence is complete future of humanity because of his intelligence and communal cooperation man is no longer subject to the laws which govern the adaptation of animals to their environment osborne's law of adaptive radiation which as we have seen applies equally well to the insects reptiles and mammals fails in its application to mankind and yet man has become as thoroughly adapted to speed flight to the fossorial and aquatic as they but his adaptation is artificial and to a very small extent only affects his physical frame while theirs is natural and the stamp of the environment is deeply impressed upon the organism man's physical evolution has virtually ceased but in so far as any change is being affected it is largely retrogressive such changes are reduction of hair and teeth and of hand skill and dulling of the senses of sight smell and hearing upon which active creatures depend so largely for safety that sort of charity which fosters the physically mentally and morally feeble and is thus contrary to the law of natural selection must also in the long run have an adverse effect upon the race man is hardly as yet subject to malthus's law for while he is increasing more rapidly than any other mammal owing largely to the care of the young which makes the expectation of life of the newborn relatively very high his migratory ability but above all his intelligence save him from the application of the law a single new discovery such as that of electricity may increase his food supply and other life necessities several fold his future evolution in so far as it is progressive will be mental and spiritual rather than physical and as such will be the logical conclusion of the marvelous results of organic evolution End of section three paleontology chapter thirty eight b recording by pamela Krantz.